swivel. If you live in any of the major cities in Australia that have been heavily impacted by COVID-19, you're definitely using some form of QR code check-in to log your entry into public spaces, retail and hospitality venues. When you scan a code and check in to one of these sites, what assumptions are you making about what happens if it turns out you have been somewhere that becomes a COVID-19 exposure site or as an employer? How clear are you on what your responsibilities are if you find out a COVID-positive person has worked in or visited your business? In this episode, we look at two hospitality venues in Victoria that became exposure sites to see if their experience matches our assumptions. From Swivel Media, I'm Amanda Reedy, and this is Resolve, stories from a stop-start nation. We start in inner Melbourne, where Resolve reporter Grishma Balachandran had her own experience in an exposure site working as a chef in a popular restaurant and bar. So I work as a chef at Sparrow's Philly Cheesesteaks in Fitzroy. Our main venue is attached to the Catfish Tavern, which has a great beer menu and just the best people to work with. We've become like a little family now over the last couple of years. Before COVID, it's been a pretty busy venue. We're right next to St. Vincent's and a bunch of offices. So lunchtime and dinner time, it felt like it was perpetually busy. But when we hit the first lockdown at the start of 2020, we faced the same challenges as the rest of the hospitality industry, including becoming an exposure site. The day I found out, I was already at home isolating because I took a test earlier in the day just to be safe. Since one of our colleagues lived in St. Kilda, I was like, all right, it's probably time to take the test so I can keep my paranoia at bay. I feel like when they started listing sites online, I was constantly looking at them, making sure I wasn't at any of these places, and if I was, to get immediately tested, because honestly, I was super anxious about catching COVID. That evening, my manager messaged me and said that we all needed to get tested since one of our chefs tested positive. I spoke to Sammy, one of the owners of Sparrow's Philly Cheesesteaks, about the experience. It wasn't till the Saturday afternoon that I got a message from him stating that he'd returned a positive test, which was certainly a bit of a shock for us. And I guess the style of business that we have in Fitzroy being that we run our business out of another business, being the Catfish Tavern. We had to jump on with what that all meant and try to figure out and establish what it meant to my business and what it meant to, to their business and our staff. I found that we didn't actually get proper communication until sort of a little later that evening from the Department of Health. But once we got notice from Chef that received that, that positive test result, we started making moves to just to be safe and be cautious, just to close down operations, certainly for the interim. And that's how we kept ourselves informed. It felt like there was only one person who could give us information during this time, which seemed like a massive responsibility for someone who already had to take care of his business, look out for his staff, and take care of stock while filling in forms. I also spoke to the manager of the Catfish, Jane, about what it was like from her perspective. Yeah, so becoming an exposure site was really kind of interesting for us because we, as, as the team at Catfish, knew about it well advance of being told by any authorities, which is something that I've 
Actually, yeah, I found quite interesting. So I found out from my bosses, who obviously found out from the owners of Sparrows because it was a, a Sparrows chef that was the first positive case. We had to close down and have the full COVID clean, which happened rather fast. They were in the following afternoon on the Sunday. They basically worked through the night doing the clean. A lot of biohazard stuff going on and bagging up and restricting areas. But it wasn't until that evening that we spent a lot of time, well, myself and my partner was a great help, ending a lot of time on the phone to Department of Health and filling out a lot of forms and just trying to get to the bottom of what the next step was. We all did the right thing and we immediately quarantined ourselves and went and got tested, but we actually didn't get contacted by anyone in authority for about three days after that. So there was quite a lapse. And I think, I think it took about three, three days for it to pop up on the list as an exposure site as well. So there's quite a lapse in the, the amount of time between a positive case being identified and people being notified, which is not great <laughs> for trying to keep it out of the community. I was definitely worried about everyone, which is why it was nice to hear that Sammy had a reasonably positive experience with it. And that's what we want more of, people knowing what to do and not panicking and not strapped for information. With enough information and a heads up, Sammy was able to act quickly and delegate tasks to everyone on the team. The people that we, you know, the contacts that we had just over the phone and again, instructions via email as well, were quite good. It, it was pretty clear they all acted quite fast and as far as experiences go, it was, they were very clear in their communications. For me, there was a very limited number of people I had to worry about, but if I owned a business, it would have been hectic. If you think about it, it's a pretty scary situation. There's a lot of anxiety connected to waiting in limbo from the result of a test. One day is bad enough, but being isolated for 14 days can be a difficult experience for anyone. Now add being a business owner into the mix and the to-do list increases. For Jane, all of her information initially was coming secondhand, and she was surprised that no one else involved received direct contact or instructions about what they should be doing. For the fact that Sammy from Sparrows is being told to tell us this stuff and it's like a trickle down of information, which when we're having a pandemic, like that seems like an important time to possibly get in contact with everyone yourself, like from the authorities. But yeah, the fact that he was just supposed to pass on these messages and it was not the right information. And, and I guess the, the people that were talking to Sammy as well probably weren't quite sure what was happening so yeah that was and even when I did speak to them myself personally so they got in contact about three or four days later they then asked about my living situation and, and asked about you know who else I'd been in contact with and then they just asked me where my partner had been they didn't ask to speak to him at all they were just like well where was your partner and like I mean I can tell them like I can have a conversation with him but it seems like that's something you should really check with the individual yeah so communication and follow-up were, were definitely not ideal Another thing we should keep in mind is that government support ends when lockdown is finished. It's sort of assumed that we'll be fine, but actually it takes weeks, if not months, to get back to even half of what we're used to making as a business. Jane was able to tell us how the next few months are going to feel like with the shift in government support. And it's, yeah, it's also had a, an ongoing effect on trading hours. So if, if you're not working in the hospitality industry, you might only be recognizing this as a sort of frustration that your favorite venue isn't open on a Monday, Tuesday anymore, or it isn't open past 11 p.m. And that's just because we simply can't afford to be paying our staff to be in on days that we don't have as many patrons. So we just don't open. And that's, that's a very sad thing, particularly for Melbourne, where we have, well, did have such a, a vibrant nightlife industry. And it's just that we literally cannot afford to be open and especially because we're a venue that isn't like 
high margin like we're we're a locals venue so it's it's all you know kind of approachable and and lower margin so we definitely don't have and we're we're an an independent business as well like a lot of Melbourne hospitality businesses people don't realize are actually part of big corporations but we're independent and so we definitely don't have that backing Um, and that actually gets quite frustrating as well because we do see a lot of those bigger businesses not following the like not forcing people to check in or wear masks because they can really they can afford the fine and then that makes it more difficult when those customers come to our venue and they're like, oh, well, I can do this over here and we just can't do that. Apart from the fact that we want to make it a safe environment for our customers and staff, we just we actually can't afford the penalty. It's understandable that people in contact tracing are being overworked and have too much to focus on. But if you're trying to prioritize the health of the public, especially that of those who go outside every day, meet people, serve them, people in the hospitality industry or people in nursing or people in aged care homes, you have to make sure that all your bases are covered before being signed off as a non-problematic department. Jane explains to us the problems that come with taking care of stock and how the vaccine rollout could have been more mindful of Victoria's hospitality workers. I think the, I think the way that it's been presented in the media has often been you know, scary first and then actual facts later. But then the reverse is also true with lockdowns where they would go, oh, we're going to be locked down for a week and we're just going to be locked down for another week and we're just going to be locked down for one more week. Whereas we in in the industry can actually see from the first lockdown that this is going to be at least a month. And it's actually, that makes it incredibly difficult for us because if we know we're going to be locked down for a month, we can plan for that. But if we keep being told we might be opening in three days, we have to keep being prepared to open in three days. And then as we know, often it's like, actually, you're opening at, you know, 12 o'clock tonight. And just like, we're not given any time for that. But then, yeah, but then it's like scary, scary, scary. Oh, but actually, no, it's fine. Yeah. And I actually, I, I do think that the, that the vaccine rollout has been, has been, had a massive effect on hospitality in particular, because the majority of our workforce is very young. Like we're a young industry, we're run off, like the majority of people in the industry are in their 20s. And that means that the majority of our industry didn't qualify for the vaccine until basically until we were told they then had to be double vaccinated by a certain date and we only just got qualified for it. So we all had to push our AstraZeneca vaccine forward. So you're supposed to wait um, 12 weeks for it. Everyone in the industry had to push it up to six weeks because like we had to go back to work and we weren't, we weren't able to get the vaccine prior to that. So that I think that that was yeah but like the catfish is a beer bar and beer doesn't last so yeah we lost a lot of stock and then if you look at food um, premises like any anything that has food that's all wasted and that's the most devastating with the short notice both for closure and reopening because short notice of closure like a lot of people have just done their orders or just done their prep for the next week or the weekend and then being told last minute that we have to reopen it you can't you know have time to restock and, and and prep and then also it's it's had a trickle down effect in that the suppliers don't have stock because they haven't had anywhere to, to sell it to so there's just a shortage on everything i think it's less about finding someone to blame in cases like this rather we should be able to find weak points and flaws in a system and adapt quickly so that businesses can receive information faster and change their plans accordingly But there is good to come out of a time like this. It makes us come together as a community and realize what really matters are the people around us. It's not easy, but together it's easier. 
Thanks to Sammy and Jane, I felt like everyone was trying to push for what was best for all of us. Communication, certainly it wasn't perfect. All things considered, I found that it was pretty reasonable and certainly we got to the point that we needed to get to reasonably fast. I mean, it was within, I think, from when we actually noticed that, that he had tested positive, it was pretty much 48 hours whereby the venue was had we'd undertaken the clean and essentially waiting for the official all clear, which sort of came through, I believe, Tuesday morning. As much as we can, can say, you know, this wasn't done right and this wasn't done right, a lot of stuff was done better here than in most of the world. And yeah, I'm very, very glad to have been here for it. And to, to even have things like JobKeeper and JobSeeker, like if we're talking about the US, they were given $1,200, I think, a once-off payment of $1,200, and that was it. So it's no wonder that it, it ripped through the States much more than here because people didn't have actually the luxury of being able to, to shelter in, in place, as they called it. Thankfully for me, I have both of these people and a good team for support in case something like this happens again. I feel like as a group of people, we've learned to maneuver properly through this sea of red tape. And I'm happy I can work at a place where we can talk to each other about it and help each other through times like this. But to rely on someone that's going through a difficult situation for information can be extremely exhausting for the person involved. And I hope soon there's a system in place where everyone knows what to do. As a hospitality worker, we all deserve to know that. While metropolitan Melbourne has copped the majority of Australia's COVID-19 cases and lockdowns, regional Victoria remained fairly COVID-free up until the latest Delta outbreak. So when the virus reached the small coastal town of Painesville, the tight-knit community sprang into action. Situated on the bustling lakeside esplanade is the Painesville Wine Bar, an elegant hole in the wall that features live music, good wines and great company. Joe Muller has owned and operated the venue for over four years. So Painesville is a, a little town, a population around about 4,000. Because we're situated on the Gippsland Lakes overlooking McMillan Straits, it's a beautiful little place. And the community absolutely love Painesville. The Painesville Wine Bar being such a unique little venue, being a, a music venue, a wine bar, supporting local wineries, selling interstate, international wines, and the same with our, our musical artists and performers. It's a real community. We have uh, a lot of regular customers here that are all from the community. They, they call it this little social hub. Throughout the pandemic, Jo has been vigilant in following the health regulations and insisting that all her customers use the QR code check-in system that feeds directly into Victoria's contact tracing database. A little, I'm an ex-nurse. So I understand infection control. I understand the meaning behind it and what you've got to do. And I am a bit of a stickler for following the rules as far as wear your mask. You must check in. Please show me. And if I don't know them, I ask for ID. So when Jo got a call from one of her regular customers who thought they might test positive for COVID, she was confident she'd done everything required to ensure contact tracing could be carried out by the health authorities. They notified me that they were getting tested and they didn't get notified until the 17th, which was a Sunday. And they rang me and, and told me that they were positive. So it made the call not to open. I, I checked the, the website to see if we were classified as a tier one site. There was nothing on the, the coronavirus website for, for T1 sites. And then I started getting phone calls because uh, this person had notified their friends. Then I started getting people ring me and then we all notified each other. 
to say, look, we better go and get tested. Let's do the right thing. I'm not going to open. I'm going to close down and I'll just wait till I'm contacted by the authorities. While they were waiting for the health authorities to make contact, Joe and her husband immediately went to get tested and isolated at home while waiting for their results. It was later on the Sunday night that I was told that, yes, we are now on the Tier 1 site map. My husband and I went down and we got tested straight away on the Monday and we came back with a negative test a couple of days later. A lot of people were asking me, have you been notified by anybody? Has anyone been in touch with you? And it was, no, no one's been in touch with me in regards to being a Tier 1 site. Also, what was interesting was that none of my customers were contacted through the contact traces. The person in question who was COVID positive, but as far as everyone else who was a primary contact, no one had been contacted through the contact tracing, which I found quite quite unusual. I would have thought we would have been contacted, in particular being the business owner. The QR code check-in system is meant to be the linchpin in stopping the spread of the virus, but not one person who was a primary contact of the Painesville Wine Bar positive case was notified. So Jo got online and did her own research and tried to help those other close contacts work out who needed to get tested and how long they should spend in isolation. There was a lot of confusion from people wondering whether they were a primary contact or not. So my advice to them was, if you were here on those days that they stated on the exposure site, go and get tested twice. Get your first test on, uh, on day one and then get tested again on day six. So then there was confusion because a, an email came out from someone's family member and, um, you know, oh, you don't have to isolate for, you only need the one test and, and then once you get that negative, you're, you're fine, you can go off or no, you only need one test and then after day seven you can go off into the community and do what you like. So there was a lot of confusion about and still not having been contacted by any of the authorities, we were sort of left to our own devices. Getting through on phone numbers can be difficult, you're on hold, it's overloaded. I know our testing site here in um, Bairnsdale, they were overloaded. Someone said to me when they went up there to get tested, the, the, the nurse said, how big is this wine bar? <laughs> we had a, there were so many people up there getting tested. It was friends of friends of friends. I think the number of people who got tested probably would have been in excess of 40 people, I think. All the customers were getting back saying, yes, Joe, we've got a negative, we're going back for our second test. So everyone was really, really good. Not only did this close community manage to stop a COVID outbreak in their beloved town, they made sure that Joe and their friends who needed to isolate were all well looked after. We had food dropped off to us, we had toilet paper dropped off to us. Here I am with a wine bar full of wine and I had no wine at home. <laughs> and I was stuck home in isolation. So we had some lovely people send us some wine, which was really nice. Someone dropped off some sweeties and someone dropped off a casserole and yeah, it was just lovely. And everyone just saying, Joe, you've done the right thing. Thank you for doing the right thing. We sort of felt we dodged a bullet and I believe we did. And I think it was because the community sort of got together. I think we made the right choices. I believe I've followed to the letter what we were supposed to do. Even with her nursing background and the support of a community who were willing to do the right thing, Joe believes there should be more support given from the health authorities to assist business owners who have come into contact with COVID. I guess some reassurance. If all of this was to happen again, 
to probably be reassured by someone who knows what the steps are to say, okay, this is what you need to do or, you know, have you done this, have you done that? And then go, okay, all right, well, I've, I've done this, I've ticked the boxes and now I can just sit back and wait and get ready to reopen. But because we didn't get that, you're always questioning yourself as to, am I doing the right thing? Is this what we're supposed to do? Am I supposed to sit back and wait for someone to contact me? Am I supposed to contact them? It was just, yeah, quite difficult. After some very thorough cleaning, Jo is back behind the bar where she belongs and will continue to insist all her customers use the QR code system and follow the rules to keep her community safe. In regard, I don't know that we've actually done anything out of the ordinary apart from what's the right thing to do. I thank everyone in the community who went and got tested. I thank everyone in the community who's double vaxxed and, and, and who's booked to get their second shot. And I think it's what we need to survive in business in the future. We spoke with Nationals member for East Gippsland, Tim Bull, about the contact tracing issues that were happening in the region. The Painsville Wine Bar was identified as an exposure site, but seven days later, Jo, who'd done a fantastic job, she had no advice on follow-up contacts. She had no advice on what she had to do to get her business reopened in relation to deep cleaning, contacting people who frequented her business and the like. And when you're in a situation where you read online or read in the newspaper, which is what occurred on the previous occasions, that you're an exposure site and you have absolutely no contact at all from the department, it's enormously stressful for those business operators to go through that situation. And I raised this predicament in Parliament and I put to the government that either they were understaffed or the system was broken. It had to be one of the two things as to why no contact had been made. But I simply got a response back to say that staffing is appropriate, they're all doing a wonderful job. Well. When we had, that was the third situation that we had with exposure sites in the region. And when all of them failed equally as dismally as each other, things clearly aren't working well. My experience has been that the vast majority of people are happy to do the right thing. But what they want is clear and accurate information on what they must do. Now, in my office, you know, we, we have had Every time restrictions change, we get an enormous barrage, if you like, of businesses and community members wanting information. Uh, And often there are a lot of grey areas in the restrictions when they're released. When the directions come out, um, there isn't a lot of detail that drills down into specific cases. In my office, I've had staff members on the phone to the hotline working away in their own offices and following up community concerns. And within a matter of minutes, and in some cases we believe they were on the phone at the same time to the hotline trying to get detail, they've received conflicting information on exactly the same issue. Now, when you've got the people in the hotline who are giving out conflicting information, uh, it gets very, very, very confusing because one of them has to be wrong. When I raised these matters in Parliament, 
It wasn't as a political point scoring exercise. It was simply to try and get the detail that these business owners needed to be able to get back on their feet. Because I can, one thing I can assure you of is our business sector has done it tough enough up here in East Gippsland, you know, with the drought and then those horrible fires and then straight into this. Uh, our business sector has been on its knees because it's heavily reliant on the tourism industry. And they just wanted to be able to get back and open the doors. Listening to these stories, what's been really heartwarming to hear is how our guests went above and beyond to keep their staff and their communities protected from COVID. Much less life-affirming is the lack of consistency and the confusion coming from Victoria's contact tracing model. We reached out several times to the Victorian Government's Health Department for comment, but they didn't want to speak with us. The Victorian Government has undoubtedly done a great job supporting affected industries financially and getting double vaccination rates to over 90% of the population. And now that Victoria has fully opened up without restrictions, the government has announced even more dramatic changes to how contact tracing will work in the future. From now on, individuals and businesses who come into contact with a positive case will need to do their own contact tracing, calling all those personal contacts that could have been exposed. Positive cases are now required to notify their workplace, school or childcare about their positive result. Once informed by the case, workplaces will also have to identify and notify employees and subcontractors, but not customers who were exposed to advise them to get tested. Schools and childcare will also identify and inform staff and student contacts. In fact, the only time the government will step in and perform contact tracing is when a super spreader event or outbreak occurs. I'm sure we all assume that every time we check in at a store, a bar or a restaurant, we are contributing to a system that keeps us safe. But if we can draw one conclusion from the experience of our guests and this latest round of changes to the system, is that the onus, it seems, is on the individual. And maybe it always was. So we must remain active in keeping ourselves and our community safe as we face the new normal, living with COVID. Resolve is a production of Swivel Media. It's produced by me, Amanda Reedy, Grishma Belachandran, Phoebe Zakowski-Wallace, and our executive producer is Scotty Allen. Our original music is by Ash Deneef, and our show artwork is by Mark Osmundi. Research and fact-checking is by Lauren Fitzgerald. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and leave a positive rating and review to help others find our show. Visit swivelmedia.com, that's swivel with an O, for details on all of our shows and find us on social media for updates on new releases. Swivel.